This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast, your chance to hear expert advice and real life stories. And for many, the holidays are full of joy and family and reasons to celebrate. But there are an awful lot of people who find this time of year very, very troubling indeed. Anxiety is on the rise in general, but has definitely spiked over the holidays. So we brought in clinical psychologist Dr. Thuraya to help us unpick some of the triggers and offer you some coping strategies too. Another doctor, this one for your physical health. Dr. Amna Shah, consultant dermatologist at King's, was live in the studio as we had your live skin clinic talking about some of the issues that women face pre and postpartum, but also taking your questions on everything from acne to eczema. And do you have a passion project and want to turn it into a profitable business? We were joined by Kira Jean, who's telling you how. It is a psychology hour and for many, many people, the holidays are a time to look forward to, even with the stresses of travel, meal planning, gift giving, money, in-laws. Many of us do find it to be a really happy time, but that's not always the case. For some people, the holidays can be a really difficult and emotionally exhausting time. A survey by the American Psychological Association found that 38% of people felt their stress levels increased during the holiday season, and this can be linked to increased risk of illness, substance misuse, higher rates of anxiety and depression. This was, of course, particularly uh, felt during the pandemic when there were still so many questions about events and mixing and Now we are thankfully through the worst of it, but some anxieties do still linger and we're very much here for you this afternoon. If you do need any help, um, any coping strategies, or you just want to share what's stressing you out, we're here for you. Dr. Tharai, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic, joining us live. Dr. T, how are you? I'm well, Helen. How are you? <laughs> I'm, my husband literally just messaged me before the show saying, don't get sick, because he heard I sneezed last night. And I'm like, could my stress be making me ill? <laughs> I think it's probably just my germ-carrying children. But apart from that, I am, I am fine. We're flying on Friday, so I've got a to-do list that makes me feel slightly nauseous. So this topic did resonate. I'm not going to lie. Um, We just heard that 38% of people felt that their stress levels go up around this time of year. Do you you believe that rates of depression and anxiety increase over the holidays? And what have you seen? Well, I think for some people, definitely um, symptoms of depression can increase, especially when you're away from family. Some people can't really afford to go back or bring their families over. So sometimes it can be a very lonely season for a lot of individuals. And at the same time, you have a lot of anxiety that uh, increases because you might be going to see family and you might have to, um, you know, be in contact with individuals that you may not necessarily always enjoy being around Mm -hmm. or or they might be a little bit more critical than you'd like to um, be exposed to on such a fun occasion (laughs) or a nice holiday. So essentially we, I do see quite a few individuals um, as we had talked about before Helen uh, that experience loneliness. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really nice that if you are sticking around in town and, you're not going to be around family, or maybe if you are going to be around family, just to, you know, reach out to individuals that you know aren't going to be traveling, just to have them come over and spend time with you because, you know, they are going to be alone during this season. Well, that's what we used to do in back in my single days. We used to do a waifs and strays Christmas day, which was, um, it, you know, we, we, we're so lucky to live in this part of the world. But as you say, for some people, it is very far from home and, you know, logistical, practical 
sometimes emotional reasons, um, you know, not with family at a time where so many people are and are very vocal about it and social mediaing about it. Um, we will be talking comparisons, I'm sure, later on the show. So can we quickly kind of break down some of the common triggers that you either see coming into clinic or indeed are particularly problematic over the holidays? And let's start with expectations. <laughs> The root of all heartache in my book, Dr. T, can you help us unpack why our expectations can often be getting in the way of our happiness? Well, I I think the first and foremost expectation that most people have is that this is going to be an amazing vacation. And it's going to be so, yes, it's going to be magical. It's going to be, you know, um, stress relieving. It's going to be really relaxing. It's going to be amazing. And so these kinds of expectations can be uh, detrimental for some individuals, especially those that are um, maybe not going or not looking at it from a very realistic perspective. So Mm -hmm. essentially, you know, this is a, a time of the year that, yes, it's nice to gather amongst family and or maybe even travel on your own and do certain things with friends. But in the end, it is important to kind of set your expectations to a place where you are looking at the possibility that some things might go wrong and that it's okay if they do and that you'll figure it out when it comes along or if it comes along. Just kind of manage your expectations to a place where it's a, far more realistic than it is very optimistic nor very pessimistic, mm-hmm. right? So expectations are a big one, especially when it comes to not just what's going to happen, but how you're going to interact with certain individuals. You keep on saying certain individuals. What are some of the dynamics that have proven problematic with some of your clients, Thiraya? Well, I mean, you know, when they say monsters in law, they're not really lying. Sometimes it can be problematic (laughs) to be around in-laws. And this is not just to talk about like the mother-in-law and the father-in-law, but sometimes even like the in-laws in terms of like the siblings of Mm -hmm. your partner or maybe the aunts and the uncles, the cousins of your partner, um, or even sometimes with some blended families, it could be the kids of a, of your partner from a different, per, uh, from a different partner. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, at times it's, it's important to kind of look at what are the things that you expect of the interaction and just, you know, I would have to say, don't over try, don't try so hard and try to overcompensate to make it perfect, to make it amazing, but just kind of give it what it is and be more of an observer rather than a person that reacts to the situations that you're in. Um, I just been in touch saying, can someone who normally does not suffer from anxiety be anxious over the holidays? It's an interesting question. Of course, of course. I mean, anxiety is actually a very natural emotion. Most individuals are scared of the word anxious. They get really worried about the fact that we experience anxiety. But anxiety is such a natural emotion for us. And it's a very necessary emotion for us because it's basically our brain telling us that we are perceiving some form of threat that could be um, coming up, right? So it's it, it sounds ominous in nature, but in reality, it's very informative. And it's one of the things that I really try to teach individuals when it comes to emotions is try to separate the value statement of good and bad, negative and positive, and just try to look at emotions from an informative perspective. Look at it from a perspective of whatever this emotion is, it's telling me something about what I'm going through right now. And mm-hmm. if you look at it with curiosity and, and compassion instead of criticism and judgment, you actually give yourself an opportunity to actually be in the in the sense of self and sense of space that you really want to be in good answer um i love this question from graham saying is the environment and reduced daylight a genuine factor in wintertime sadness not here of course he uh, he follows up with <laughs> i think yes oh my goodness yeah. i my parents lived in muscat for a long time and they they moved back 
a few years ago and they were like, Helen, it's not the it's not the coldness, actually, or even the rain that was getting them down after living in the Middle East for so long. It was the darkness because where we live in the northeast gets dark at about half past three in the afternoon and then gets light again about nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I think, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to tell us, um, you know, in terms of impact on the brain, you know, but you know it's sad we have those we have those lights for a reason i think in other parts of the world what does what do we know about uh, about that thraya well we do have something called seasonal affective disorder which is basically the what happens with an individual when they get really affected by the seasons that they're experiencing and usually that has to has to do a lot with the sunlight or with the darkness that they experience or just the the, the grayness. So it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be dark, but it can just that grayness. And, you know, our physical environment, the environment that we stay in on a daily basis can weigh in significantly on our mental health. And this comes a lot from how we process everything that's around us. Usually when things get dark very early, we our brain kind of realizes that we're ending something, you know, like our darkness uh, or the darkness in, in our day kind of tells our brain that, okay, it's coming to an end. But when that end is very long, so like you mentioned, 3.30, wow, that's really, wow, mm-hmm. like that's intense. <laughs> so if it gets dark at 3.30, you still have a good nine hours almost or like eight and a half hours for the rest of your day. So it feels just a lot more gloomy yeah, totally. than it normally would that, all, if it was all you want to do you know, is, sunny until about six. Yeah, exactly. All you want to do is eat a whole lasagna and watch TV. It's, a bit, <laughs> it's very depressing indeed. Um, I want to go to the text line next, Thuraya. We've got a really, I think, important message that's come in. I think hopefully your advice can help an awful lot of people. Anonymous message here saying, this is my first Christmas post-divorce and I have to say I'm dreading it. The kids are nine and four. They're with their dad in the morning, then me in the afternoon, but I know he's not making much effort, has joked about pizza for lunch and won't do stockings, which I know they love. I just don't know what to do with myself until they come back. Please, no judgment. Never any judgment. I think that's a really important question, something that actually is very rarely spoken about. So thank you for flagging it. Um, If you are struggling with any anxiety relating to the holidays um we've had messages about grief we've had messages about uh, jay saying i get really anxious opening christmas presents in front of the giver in case my face gives me away does dr thryer have any advice and we had a message um no name of course you can be anonymous if you prefer saying hi both this is my first christmas post-divorce and i have to say i'm dreading it the kids nine and four are with their dad in the morning and then me in the afternoon but I know he's not making much of an effort, joked about pizza for lunch, and he won't do stockings, which they love. I just don't know what I'll do with myself until they come back um, and how to manage my emotions around this. Please, no judgment. Never any judgment. And thank you for raising what I think is a really important topic and one that we haven't actually... It didn't even occur to me, to, to be truthful, to include in this segment around anxiety. But these changing circumstances in families, whether it is family dynamic or finances or locations can absolutely rock you through and I think divorce mm-hmm. is a really really pertinent example of that and especially in this example you know the first Christmas where you might have been that family unit um, in years gone by and the kids are used to that and you're used to that any advice for anyone who might be feeling something of a loss around around this topic well you know I think um, it's it's a very tricky 
uh, I would say, subject to talk about, especially when it comes to divorce and these family gatherings that used to happen but are now happening in a different way. One of the reasons why is because individuals feel a massive sense of loss already. And um, when they're trying to figure out how to make it work for the kids as well, it can be quite tricky. But I think one of the most important things to do, and this is something that I tell a lot of individuals who experience divorce and have these kinds of celebrations, I tell them, don't focus on what your partner is doing or your ex-partner is doing. Focus on what you're going to do with your children because you can't control the relationship that they have with their with your ex-partner but you can control the relationship or manage the relationship that you have with your children so for instance in in this case if your if your ex is not providing stockings make sure that you do and if you know they're providing pizza make sure that you don't so this is a good way to kind of balance that and give your 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 children some form of um the, the experience that you would like them to have mm -hmm. on in, in terms of what you can do for yourself in that moment, it's probably a good time to take care of you. So while the children are with your, your, um, ex-partner, it's good for you to kind of, you know, maybe go get a spa treatment, maybe take care of yourself, go get your haircut, you know, things like that. Just whatever it is that you need to do to kind of, you know, um, work through the difficult emotions or the different emotions that may come up during that time, especially because there's going to be that separation, mm -hmm. is quite important because those emotions are necessary because those emotions are telling you that you are experiencing a sense of sadness and a sense of loss, and maybe a sense of loneliness in that time before you see your children again. And it's okay that you are because it is very natural in such a situation. So just make sure to take care of yourself during that time, do something fun for you, take advantage of the free time without the children. And then when you do um, spend some time with the children, give them the experience that you would like them mm -hmm. to have during that day. I love that throw because that's absolutely right. You know, you can only control what you can control. You can't control what he's going to do. You, you're not his mum. You can't force him to make them make them a, a turkey dinner or a Christmas stocking. But if you need to have those moments and those touch points to make it a Christmas that you want to have with your kids, then do that on your own time. You sound like a brilliant mum. Um, and wishing you and the family all the very best over the holidays. Jay says, I get really anxious opening at Christmas and birthday presents in front of the gift giver in case I don't like my gift and my reaction makes it obvious. Does anyone else ever feel like that? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Definitely. In our family, my mum's very um, big on like pacing the presents. So we go, you know, one by one by one and everyone watches you. Otherwise, it becomes this absolute, you know, paper shredding free for all, especially with children. So, yes, Jay, that that is very real. And I do, unfortunately, have one of those faces that does not hide emotion very well. Thraya, I've heard this before. Yes, yes, I have, especially when it comes to birthdays, I think it's... Um, uh, what what I would recommend is always start smiling as you start unwrapping. Good so tip. <laughs> what, whatever it is that's going to come up is going to come up. So it's always good to start the smile, especially if it's from an individual that you really cannot Trust. afford to, to show <laughs> what you really think about their gift. <laughs> yeah, good. Good question though. Thank you. Um, no name on this one. And we alluded to it earlier, Thryer, in terms of expat life. Um, saying, hi, Helen. Hi, Dr. T. I like Christmas Day as it's fun for my kids, but the run up to Christmas and New Year's I hate because of lack of family. I've got a lot of new friends in Dubai since I've made a real effort in the last year or so. But come Christmas, I feel like I can't initiate plans with them because they are going to be so busy. My husband has a lot of work commitments and a better social life than me. I'm just really missing my family. Not so much of a question, but I think you are far from alone in this. I, this is... 
I'm feeling really blessed that I'm able to go back this year, but this is the first time in three years I've been I've been in the UK and I've really felt it in that time. And I know an awful lot of people because of COVID have had similar experiences and feeling very far from home. Dr. Tharai, this is this is a year round homesickness for a lot of people, but it can feel particularly raw at this time of year. Definitely, especially as the the year is winding down, a lot of us are feeling a bit burnt out from the the year itself. So sometimes we just want to be around family, especially when you know that you're, you're like your parents might be cooking for you, or there might be something easier. You don't have to worry about the laundry and you, mm-hmm. the cleaning and things like that. So when you when you go somewhere else, you don't have to worry so much about the same responsibilities that you have here. But being away from family can be quite difficult. What I can recommend is, you know, the the we got a lot of really horrible things from COVID, but one great thing we did get from COVID was the opportunity for us to continuously use um, platforms that allow us to communicate with our family long distance. So it might be a good time for you to kind of connect, use those uh, platforms to actually get a chance to to have the video conversations with them, open the gifts together. You guys could be, you know, different places, but still enjoy the time together. Mm-hmm. And as much as you can, try to remember that your friends, even though, they're going to be busy. They're, if they don't have family here, they're still going to want to be around people as well. And they're going to feel just as lonely. So sometimes just reaching out to your friends, especially your close friends and telling them, listen, I'm not, you know, I, I feel like I want to be around family. I'm feeling a bit homesick. Do you mind if we do something with the kids and, and so on and so forth? You'll be surprised at the reaction that people will actually have. I think for it comes back to that expectation piece you were talking about earlier and for me you know I'm I'm a very I'm, I love I love Christmas I'm, I get very nostalgic about you know my childhood Christmases and I, I think of all these little traditions that you know my parents used to do for me and I get quite sad when I'm not able to do that but I think when the opportunities is you know when you are a grown-up it's it's actually starting new traditions you know and, yeah. and whether that is with new people or things you've always wanted to do or you know going doing doing your own thing in your own way and and stopping the comparison between what you think other people are doing or or say they're doing and what you might have expected from from your childhood but thank you for sharing that I, I really do appreciate it Thraya I guess I just wanted to ask you about any coping strategies for want of a better phrase when you do feel your hackles rise or you are starting to feel that sense of overwhelm which seems to be the word that I'm hearing so much at the minute you know I've just got to get through this week I've just got, got to get through my to-do list I've just got to get to another country um you know, what can we do? And I know you're going to say breathing, but let's start with that. <laughs> Definitely breathing. Practice breathing as much as you can. Deep breaths over and over again. <laughs> However, I, you know, going back to what we were mentioning before, Helen, I think managing expectations is extremely important. But more than anything, try to move away from disconnecting yourself from the emotions that you're experiencing. So if you are getting frustrated, instead of saying things like, it's just another week, it's just another week, I just have to put up with this for another week, because that's actually going to frustrate you even more that a week is a long time, mm-hmm. especially when you're in a situation where either you're being criticized quite a bit or mocked or whatever it is. So I would rather in, in that people kind of say things like, this is not about me. Whatever is happening is not about me. Like this is, it's, this is projection. This is a person's way of dealing with their own emotions, but this is not about me. If this was truly about me, then we could have an adult conversation rather than, you know, getting snide comments or sarcastic comments or mean comments and so on and so forth. So it's always about reminding yourself that whatever it is that feels personal isn't actually personal. Mm-hmm. So that's a good way to kind of manage the emotions that you're experiencing in the moment, but also allowing yourself to kind of take a break, 
So sometimes when things are a little bit very overwhelming, it's good to kind of, you know, excuse yourself, say you're going to the washroom or you just need to lie down for a bit. So exit the, the area just for a bit, calm down, do your breathing exercises, grounding techniques, whatever it is that you might need. Um, practice meditation in the morning, meditation at night. Sometimes if you want to take your anger out, scream into a pillow, yes. it's okay. Like all of those things are... <laughs> Whatever it is that you're experiencing, it's okay to experience. And I think it's important to honor those feelings that you're having. Just try to not do them to the other person. One one thing that I, I think is quite common in British Christmases um, is that you're all in that house together, you know. <laughs> not so much my family because going out on Christmas Eve is a big thing, but in my husband, it's like, you know, Christmas is, is for family and the door is going to be locked on Christmas Day and we will emerge on Boxing Day, like, a bit like the Hunger Games. Not everyone will survive. And that is, a, that is a pressure cooker situation when you've got people who might not be used to spending that much time together and then, you know, you've got all your festive food and drink, you've got presents, you've got kids, you've got... I was going to say, hopefully a, a warm fire, but given the UK right now, who who knows about that situation? You know, it it is an unusual dynamic, and to have that ability to go out for a little walk, do some like you know Ben Affleck in the doorway, breathing outside the back, outside the back garden, you know what, whatever you need, and to kind of make sure that you know that that's okay. You're not a bad mum, dad, sister you know, son or whatever for able to do that because that's going to make you hopefully a bit more capable of dealing with some of these some of these issues. Um, what about supporting someone who might be having a particularly tough time with their mental health over the holidays, be it depression, anxiety? Or, um, because we might be seeing someone we haven't seen for a long time. We might not be aware of any mental health issues in, until they're with us and perhaps they might even be sharing them for the first time. Or indeed, maybe you've got a partner who might be dreading the holidays, you know, for, for various reasons. How can you be a good support system, Thraya? Well, just be present. I would say the most important thing is to be present. I think a lot of us, you know, we ask the question, well, how are you doing? And we just, you know, our expectation subconsciously is, oh, I'm okay. Everything's fine. You know, all is well. Um, whereas if you take a second and you, you're really present with the person, you say, how are you really? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling really? You know, just taking that moment allows the individual to feel a little bit safer to to explore what they're going through or maybe even to say, I'm not okay, but I don't really feel like talking about it and just honoring where they are as well in that moment. Mm -hmm. So I I would say the best way to support somebody is to really be present and more than anything, try to stay away from the our natural tendency when anxiety hits us, when, when somebody we care about is not doing so well, which is to problem solve. Uh, try to move away from that and ask the individual, what would you need from me? What can I do for you right now to help you work through this or make you feel just a tiny bit better? Reach out to people, especially if you have friends that are, you know, that you know have experienced mental health difficulties. Just reach out, check in, see how they're doing, especially during this time. As as we said, Helen, it's it can be quite lonely. And, you know, it's safe to say that mental illness doesn't just vanish because it's a day in the calendar. Um, you know, we shouldn't necessarily feel guilty about feeling sad whatever whatever the, the the reason or the season and i think you know that you know cheer up it's christmas <laughs> probably um not not the one um as a 
as a response. Um, I'm kind of I'm sorry to end on this note, but I think it's actually a really important message that's come through. Um, not so much a question, but I guess a more of an acknowledgement. Um, no name on this message that's come through on 4001 saying, I'm dreading Christmas, and that's because my mum died in December last year, and although last Christmas was my first Christmas, sorry, I'm going to cry, without her, um, I think I was in shock and it didn't really register. I just keep bursting into tears every time I think about it. And it can be these, you know, really important milestones, calendar get-togethers where sometimes grief can feel all the, all the more real. Um, mm-hmm. And I just wondered if you had any advice for anyone that might be struggling in in that respect, Thraya. Well, uh, well, first, I mean, I'm, I'm really sorry for your loss. Uh, the, the reality is, is that there are a lot of individuals that do kind of experience that sense of grief around this time of the year, uh, not just because their family members might have passed away during this time, but also because their family members are not there physically anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I can recommend is definitely just continue to honor your feelings, allow yourself to grieve. Don't feel bad about feeling sad during this time of the year. As, as Helen said, it's not, you, you're not going to be happy just because it's Christmas. So um, honor whatever emotions you have and, and do whatever is necessary to give yourself that sense of connection to your loved one that has passed away or that is no longer around so that you can can still feel that sense of um, bonding with them, even though they're gone. Thurai, thank you so, so much. Are you expecting to see a boom in therapy sessions come January? Um, Do you I, normally? I, deep down, I really hope not. <laughs> because I always, I always wish good things for people. But I mean, usually that is the expectation. We slow down during uh, the, end, the middle to the end of December and then we skyrocket again in January. Well, hope you managed to get a bit of a break over the over the Christmas period and you are there on the other side for anyone that needs a bit of a, a bit of a handhold a bit of advice or indeed some marriage counseling um, I know you're very very busy indeed dr Thraya thank you so much for your time and your as ever wise words you can find dr Thraya and her team at the human relations Institute and clinic it's afternoons with me Helen farmer this content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment healthy habits on afternoons with Helen farmer we are having a special look at skin during and after pregnancy as well. And we've had a number of questions about baby skin as well. So who better to ask than consultant dermatologist at King's College Hospital Dubai, Dr. Amna Shah, who welcomed the little one just four months ago. So a lot of the issues that we're going to be talking about, Doctor, you're probably going through it a little bit yourself. Um, how are you post, uh, post-baby? Hi, Helen. Thank you so much for having You're me very on the welcome. show. Um, yeah, I'm doing really well. I have a four-month-old at home who... Uh, bless her is just thriving um, and yeah enjoying being a mum for the second time round I think a, a second time round is a little bit different but we um, with the first time I had so much kind of anticipation up to the birth and I was going to say I read all the books I didn't read all the books yeah. but I read a few books and then you kind of have the baby and you go oh wow there's like this whole hormonal shift in yeah. that fourth trimester and whether that is you know related to feeding but certainly you know hair and skin yeah. and you, I mean I just felt like a complete I felt like a wreck for the, for the first couple of months um, and I wondered if you're getting much of that coming into clinic people worried about things like um, hormonal changes in skin um, hair loss as well yeah, yeah definitely um, so I find that a lot of women are quite conscious of what they use on their skin during pregnancy mm-hmm. and have got quite a bit of information about what they should and should not do during pregnancy um, but what happens is after they have the ch- baby suddenly it's 
partly because of the lack of time and lack of self-care, um, just feeling overwhelmed or kind of everything that comes with being in the fourth trimester. They find that things are happening to their skin and hair um, and they don't know whether this is just physiological or whether there's actually something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly do get women who are in their fourth trimester coming in completely worried about their hair falling out. Um, and yeah, it's, when, it's, when should you be worried, doctor? Because yeah. you know, during, I mean, pregnancy, most my hair was incredible, and yes. then it, then you start getting great handfuls of it falling out, which yeah. to some extent is normal because you're not losing a lot of hair during yeah. during that time. But when is it cause for concern? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, generally, one would lose about a hundred hairs a day. Uh, that's hairs regrowing at the same time, so it all stays pretty constant. Um, what happens during pregnancy is you have um, increasing levels of estrogen. So that kind of keeps your hair in what we call the anagen phase or the active phase. So you feel like you've got a really full head of hair. It feels great. And then, yeah, fourth trimester, the estrogen levels start declining and uh, the active hair suddenly go into the kind of shedding Mm -hmm. phase. And basically they just just fall out. Um, And that usually happens at around four Four months, that's a peak. Right where you are. Exactly, right <laughs> are you, where are I am. You're you, you struggling, you're okay. Uh, yeah, so I actually started losing hair at around three months this time around um, and losing clumps and clumps and clumps. Um, I keep telling myself it will stop and it usually does. It's a kind of six-month process on mm. average. Um, what is important to bear in mind is there are things that you should kind of keep in mind such as your nutrition so mm. look after yourself balanced nutritious diet nutritious diet is important although and hard to have it is when you're eating one-handed yes, and you've exactly got, what exactly. about any supplementation is there anything that's actually yeah. useful because we see an awful lot of you know keratin and collagen yeah. um you know supplements and smoothies and things is there any any truth in those so in the absence of a nutritional deficiency there isn't any benefit of taking a supplement so you're saving us a few hundred dirhams uh, absolutely Thank you. so it is important to check things like iron. Um, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And even low normal levels of iron would require supplementation. So if you're losing a lot of hair, worth getting that checked out. Um, vitamin B12, folate, vitamin D, all these so it can be, be it can be up. useful to just have a bit of blood work done to establish if this is just yeah. a normal postpartum situation or if there is something that perhaps uh, it, you know whether yeah. you or in partnership when the doctors at Kings could be kind of Absol- absolutely it's on. definitely worth getting it checked out if you're finding you're losing a lot of hair um, and yeah if if you've got a deficiency getting those replaced may make a difference absolutely from hair to skin yes pre pre birth and definitely post birth pregnancy acne and yeah. all those lovely breakouts mm. that we get. Now, when we're talking about acne in general terms, whether it is in teenage years or an adult, you know, things have changed so, so much compared to the, I mean, it was Oxy that was the kind of the yes. thing to put on your skin when I was yeah. a teenager. Clear it all. Yeah, and you just kind of burn a little hole. Yes. Um, and <laughs> things have changed an awful lot and attitudes and research has changed an awful lot when it comes to Accutane as well. Yeah. But some things are not really suitable if you are pregnant in terms of treatment. Is there anything you can do to balance out your skin and keep it looking and feeling happy at that time? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, for some, acne does really flare up during pregnancy and it can be quite um, an emotional trigger for mm. some pregnant women, especially when you're kind of your body habitus is changing and it's something totally. you're not used to and then and your skin's flaring and up. And everyone's and like, you, you're, you're glowing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you cannot use retinoids in pregnancy, which is a big kind of um, acne ingredient dermatologists love. Things that you can use are, are azelaic acid, 
uh, it works for some, it mm-hmm. doesn't work for others, but definitely worth trying. Um, and or there are certain oral antibiotics that can be given to pregnant women um, if needed. Do things tend to normalise in time? For some, um, but the I suppose the benefit after you've given birth is you have more options as to what you can take. So it, 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 it's, it really depends. Yeah. Dr. Amishar with us this afternoon. had a message saying how to treat stretch marks that have been there for a while. I feel the female population of the UAE literally like, yes. tell us, doctor, <laughs> is there anything that can, and, and male, you know, yeah, men can get stretch absolutely. marks too, absolutely. Is there anything, I mean, saying that that's been there for a while, does it yeah. matter how long you've had stretch marks in terms of options of treatment? Yeah. Well, in terms of physical appearance, the um, appearance of stretch marks would change over time. Um, so initially they would look quite purple, red, purple, inflamed, and over time, they become kind of silvery mm-hmm. lines um there I, I feel like this is again something I've experienced firsthand with my second pregnancy and it is upsetting so I do understand how you feel um unfortunately there's no great evidence that anything w- definitively works um there's no kind of creams or magic potions that will get rid of them it's thought that Applying kind of certain emollients or oils during pregnancy, if that's the cause behind uh, your stretch marks, can sometimes help. But again, evidence is patchy. But afterwards, um, there are certain certain doctors may offer laser treatments that again. It's a lot of big claims knocking around, wanting yeah. you just to part with thousands of dirhams, never mind hundreds. Absolutely, I think most sensible dermatologists would. Su- advise that there is no cure for stretch marks breaking our hearts Im- Im- I'd say embrace them and <laughs> or try exactly well we have got so many questions for you um, and that Linda's been in touch saying yeah. my seven month old has terrible eczema that he scratches until it bleeds mostly on his face tried all the usual suspects or latum avino hydromol several prescribed emollients and the only thing that clears it is steroid creams and then it comes back what can I do next he's on Cowangate hungry baby formula is it worth changing that he does have an egg allergy so I'm concerned about dairy but no other symptoms all advice gratefully received tell you what the words or latum takes me right back to my eczema days poor poor Linda and poor Linda's little boy there what comes to mind I'm so sorry Linda that you're having to go through this it it is so difficult having a small child with eczema um well done for managing so far Mm -hmm. um I would say that it's it's really important to investigate food allergies um, at this age, and it's it's great that you've kind of you got onto that. Um, I would see a, an allergist um, if you haven't done so already to get a kind of confirmed diagnosis of if if, the, if there's any kind of pending food allergies that you're worried about. That's the first thing. Um, make sure that you're using the soap substitutes and generous amounts of emollients so sometimes patients uh, parents don't realize just how much emo- moisturizer emollient is required so more than you think a lot more than you think yeah you should be going through a, kind of a tub every week to two weeks so yeah. that's a lot um and it can be difficult to apply moisturizer to a baby mm. i mean my sassy my daughter doesn't like it particularly um so you really have to persevere with that it's really important for the skin barrier um and yeah, as it stands, steroids are the mainstay of treatment for eczema flares. Make sure there's no infection there. That's important to treat um, because that can really um, trigger eczema flares as well. Um, so get get yourself to around to seeing an allergist and a 
specialist dermatologist who is quite confident in paediatric dermatology. Mm, it is so upsetting because it, it, absolutely, if it's little ones, you know, saying they're scratching his face and you yeah. know disturbing sleep and disturbing everyone's sleep. Yes. I know it's, it sounds like oh, it's skin, but it's so much more than that. You know. Yeah whether it's teenage acne affecting your self-confidence or adult acne certainly yeah. affecting self-confidence. Yeah. Um, we are taking your questions, um, lots coming in actually. Uh, you can also give us a call and this is Amit. Hi, my name is Amit. I would like to ask a question uh, which is about a board uh, and it's on my daughter's skull. Yeah. She's uh, five years old and it is not painful at all but uh, it is increasing in size. Uh, it started with a very tiny dot and now it is about 5 mm and uh, she's she's got this for last uh, seven or eight months and i had visited the pediatrician when he checked it up he said that it is uh, nothing to worry about since it, it is not painful so i would like to check you know if uh, i need to worry yeah. Worth getting a second opinion there what comes to mind doctor hi amit thank you for your question um absolutely um if it is a, I mean, I, I know the paediatrician has said it's a wart, but I would probably get a second opinion about that, especially if it's going in size. Um, given that it's on the head and neck area, I'd get yourself around to seeing a dermatologist. They can have a look at lesions with a special equipment called a dermatoscope, which is essentially a magnifying glass that we're trained to look through. Um, so you'd get more of a definitive diagnosis Um I, I would do that kind of can as I, soon as possible. Can I really. ask you a strange question? Yeah, go for it. If someone has, you know, I'm saying there, you know, go to a paediatrician. If someone has got mm. a concern about, say, a wart or eczema, do you need to go to your family doctor and then get a referral to a dermatologist? Or could you just make a booking with, with someone direct? Yeah. Um, so when I was working in the UK, you'd always, pretty much always have to see a GP before seeing a dermatologist. And wait six to eight months. And wait, exactly. Um <laughs> In Dubai, I believe it very much depends on your insurance. Uh, Some insurances require you to see a GP who can often just fix the problem, actually. Mm. Um, But if your insurance allows it, you can see a dermatologist directly. Um, For some people, they just have a really nice, friendly relationship with their GP who they feel a lot closer to than a dermatologist and... Uh, that's also fine but if you find that that you've been diagnosed with something by a non-specialist and it's not getting better then definitely book yourself in with a dermatologist if you can good advice speaking to us in the studio today from king's college hospital dr amna shah consultant dermatologist this is your chance to get any any niggles any questions and exactly that i'm saying you know do i need a second opinion this is a great way to test the waters without having to make an appointment we can take photos um on the whatsapp as well so please do get in touch i meant to ask you this earlier actually doctor what is coming into clinic right now what's keeping you busy lots of interesting things actually um so uh, skin cancer I've done a couple of mole removals today already um, hair loss acne um, lots of paediatric dermatology no days the same no days the same uh, and that's the kind of beauty of my specialty really that's why I wanted to ask you yeah. why did you decide to specialise in this yeah um, so at, when I chose to become a dermatologist I was doing internal medicine at the time core medical training um, and it struck me as a specialty where I was able to see babies as well as mm-hmm. the elderly folk um, and I used do a lot of practical stuff we get to do procedures so it's not an entirely medical specialty but equally we're prescribing some kind of really um cutting edge medications as well so it really just has a bit of everything in there plus i think it's definitely got a massive psychological element to it as well couldn't Um, agree more and you know i love chatting to my patients about kind of how they feel about themselves it's the biggest organ 
uh, of the body. And, oh, yeah, that, and to, to yeah. be able to see a real change in the skin that you were able to, to work with. But also, as you say, that psychological side and someone to have their confidence yeah. increased and, you know, discomfort gone must be amazing. Exactly. It is amazing. And a lot of the conditions I treat are chronic conditions, so they're lifelong, um, which means you really get to build a nice relationship with your mm. patients. And it's it's great to be that support system for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons and I'm really happy I am a dermatologist. I feel very passionate about it. So a question here yep. from Dee saying, how often should you get moles checked? Yeah, question. Really good question. It totally depends on your background. So um, when you live in Dubai, things are slightly more accelerated than they would be if you were living, say, back in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're someone who's fair skinned, kind of fair hair, fair eyes, um, have lots and lots of moles in the body, have a background of skin cancer or a family history of skin cancer, um, have had multiple episodes of sunburn, um, get yourself into a dermatologist every six to 12 months. Um, If you have had a diagnosed skin cancer, then it would be more frequent. Um, But yes, as I say, everything's accelerated. So if there is anything you're worried about that's changing, don't feel like you're wasting anyone's time. Just get yourself in and get it checked out. Peace of mind. Absolutely. Most important thing. Good question, Dee. Um, To the text line, um, a question here from Abdul Rahman saying, um, any insights on Verrucas? My 10-year-old son is a frequent swimmer, has a cluster of them between his big toe and second toe, maybe six. Over-the-counter paint on stuff doesn't seem to be making a difference after a month. Ah, Verrucas, it's all sexy stuff and derm, isn't it? It. Yeah, that's. I, I do see uh, verrucas quite often. Um, sometimes they can self-resolve, although they are a bit of a, a pain to have. Um, if the over-the-counter stuff's not working, then you could consider cryotherapy, which is essentially liquid nitrogen. Is that something that you would do? As a, yeah, as so I, I can. I do do quite a fair bit of cryotherapy, actually. Um, totally depends on the child. For some kids, they don't want it. Mm. Um, it depends on their pain threshold. So I wouldn't force a child to have it it's not necessary but if they're up for it then um it is an option it is a good treatment option and after a few sessions it does work and and after a session is there any kind of pain that might you know stop if you're talking about this is an awkward spot between your big toe and your second toe yes would that impact you know walking for example yeah um most my most of my patients are able to kind of walk Walk out do stuff afterwards but yes it it is painful it would throb um and i usually cancel patients about that Mm um so it's not a easy going thing you have it does require a bit of thought and as i say if it's a very young child they may not want to have it and that's also fine they shouldn't feel pressurized to have cryotherapy okay cynthia's saying hi both my once beautiful and strong nails are now brittle um i'm 30 weeks pregnant what can i do to strengthen them now or will they get better once i've given birth yeah so it may be that the i mean there's lots of causes behind nails uh looking different uh so it it would be worth getting someone to have a look at that mm-hmm. um if there's any cause of cause for concern uh if they're looking slightly dehydrated if you're someone who gets a lot of pedicures or kind of shellac pedicures um it, that can actually dehydrate the nail uh it'd be worth putting on a non-fragrance greasy moisturizer onto your nails every day um and that can actually help but yeah if they're looking quite different to what they're normally like get them checked out. I notice such a difference after having kids and my nails. Yeah. Mine yes. grow like 
bilio now. Yeah. I'm yeah. constantly, and yeah. my hair as well, actually. Yeah. It, 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 it was a marked change once you got past that initial Definitely. hair Definitely. loss and then the little, the little yes. baby, baby fringe yes. that, that comes in. Yeah. Um, message here, this is from Daniel, um, saying our 15-year-old daughter's um, acne has got worse and worse, but I'm concerned about medicating, as is she. Um, what does the latest research say? Yeah, again, really good question. Um, I would say that with acne, um, a common um, misconception is that people will grow out of it. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily grow out of acne. Um, It does require treatment, especially if it's scarring, because that scarring will be lifelong. Um, So I would start treatment um, and you you can go gentle you can start with creams um, lotions and potions that are specifically designed for acne and if those don't they don't work then you can move on to tablets Um, so there's a stepwise approach that we use depending on how severe the acne is so don't worry about someone sticking your daughter on the highest kind of most severe um, tablet there is Mm -hmm. we can try gentler stuff to begin with. Who, um, I'm going to put put this question aside, yes. um, but just in terms of general terms when it comes to medicating um, yeah. for acne, who would be a, a good candidate, for example? What would you be looking for in their skin, in their age, in their lifestyle and, and life stage? Yeah, um, so it depends on the grade of uh, the severity of the acne. Um, so milder forms of acne, you can... Um, well mild to moderate acne can be treated with antibiotics actually so that's a commonly used tactic by most dermatologists around Mm. the world Um, if or antibiotics don't help then you can move on to something called isotretinoin which is a retinoid that's usually reserved for severe acne so where you get nodules large cystic lesions and scarring it also depends on how the patient feels about their skin. So if you're a fit and well teenager, but you've got acne that you re- that's really bringing you down, then I, I'd be open-minded to having that discussion about mm-hmm. isotretinone with them um, because it would make such a difference in their life, not having acne. Um, I love this question because I think a lot of people suffer from this in Dubai. Big pores and shiny skin. Yeah. No name, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have no more details than that, Dr. Yeah. Shah. But um, there's... Um, a kind of a, a common phrase, which is like, you know, pores are like doors, yes. you know, you, you can't really close them up. Yes. Um, so is this something that you need to live with if you've got naturally greasy, shiny skin and what you might yeah. consider to be enlarged pores? Yeah. So um, having a pretty kind of uh, just a good skincare routine can make a massive difference. So um, if you've got kind of oily, acne prone skin, there's now there's specific kind of cleansers that you can use as really great brands out there, like Cetaphil, CeraVe, to name a few, um, which are targeted towards certain skin types. So use a good cleanser, um, moisturize, use your SPF. um, And if you can have it, uh, a retinoid in the evenings Mm -hmm. is another kind of good way of combating that sort of skin type. It essentially dries your skin out, um, but makes it... Can it go too dry then? It can, absolutely. And there's ways to limit that. So starting with a very low kind of percentage strength of retinoid, using it on alternate days or even two or three times a week, using a small pea-sized amount of it, that kind of commonly um, tried ways of not getting that retinoid reaction. 
Okay, hope that helps. Thank you for raising the question. Um, a message here, no name on this one, and you can, yeah. of course, get in touch, 4001, use your ARN Play app, use the WhatsApp. You don't need to put your name on if you'd rather not, but you're going to have to be fast. We've got Dr. Shaw with us for just a few more minutes. Um, no name saying, I have a problem with my hand, just one, yes. for a year now. It started off as a few small spots of dry skin. It's now spread to the point that most of my fingers and thumb and a large patch on my hand are covered. Very sensitive to temperature, flares up, becomes raw and irritated to the point it's hard to touch things about once a week. After it calms down, it's left so dry they get splits on my fingertips. Um, It's getting to the point where it's really bad. I struggle to hold a pen or type. The family doctor says it's contact dermatitis and I need to stop touching whatever's causing it, but I don't know what that is. Been on three or four different steroid creams and moisturisers. They've said it's very unusual for only one hand to be affected. I've asked about the possibility of it being fungal. I'm told it definitely isn't because it doesn't have the correct appearance. Help. Yeah. Um, I'm really, again, I'm very sorry that you're in this situation. Hand, really painful. Yeah, anything uh, to do with the hands can be really difficult because you use them so much. Um, contact dermatitis is a very good thought. Um, there's two types of contact dermatitis, um, which I'll kind of tell you about very briefly. Uh, there's the kind of allergic contact dermatitis and an irritant form. Um, so what, what kind of things would you be allergic to? Like, would that be like a kind of a washing yeah. powder or a, like a skincare product? Or yeah, what so else? it's usually um, components of what you've described. So preservatives okay. or fragrance that's mm-hmm. often found in these kind of um, household products or makeup products. Um, so it would be worth getting yourself reviewed by a dermatologist and possibly patch tested what's what's Um, patch testing yeah so patch testing is where dermatologists would stick um a whole series of um think essentially things that one may be allergic to um onto the usually the back um and what happens is over the span of a week if you are allergic to that preservative or whatever's put in putting your back you would start mounting a reaction to an eczema like reaction over Mm -hmm. the span of kind of 48 hours 72 hours and that's a good way of determining whether there's something that you're in contact with that you are actually allergic to but often if a patch test is negative it can mean that well either it's not an eczema or it's an irritant kind of form of eczema where you don't necessarily have an allergy but mm-hmm. you're in contact with something that's eroding your skin barrier so rea- time. reactive to exactly it. Okay. in a slightly different way um but yeah get yourself to a dermatologist get yourself patch tested i'd say um that's a good way of determining what's going on okay i'm gonna squeeze in one last question yes. saying hello ladies i had a brown growth on the side of my head it grew i picked it off i know nasty but came off fine left no mark whatsoever someone said it could be from driving in the car sudden through the window yep. um but should i get it checked um it depends on whether there is anything there to see it could be i mean i it's hard to say because i've not seen it but um, common things on the face are seborrheic keratoses, which are um, essentially warty overgrowths of the skin. They are quite crusty and you can often, patients do pick them off. Um, they're often not related to the sun. It's more of a genetic thing. Um, but if you have got concerns, please do see a dermatologist for that. They can have a look at, it, look at your skin with a dermatoscope, which is a pretty definitive uh, way of seeing if it's malignant or not. I'm going to squeeze in one last question. Yes. Rakesh says, can you recommend a good sun, sunblock for psoriasis patients? Um, someone's been giving him an allergic reaction. Now, yes. we we didn't even touch about on skin. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know you're a skincare, yes. skincare and skin, skin cancer specialist. Um, what should you be looking for? So when it comes to S, um, sunscreen, SPF 50 plus with UVA and UVB protection, that's really important. Any brands? We can um, mention a couple. I don't yes. mind. Yes. Um, so my kind of my favourite ones, I like La Roche-Posay. That's a good one. Um, 
that's the other one that I'm I'm using at the moment is Eucerin. But I'm again, using Eucerin yeah, right it's a now. good one. It's great. Um, but again, it depends on kind of what your skin's like. There's so many great brands. So these are just kind of what I've I've used. That doesn't mean that this and, is a definitive guide. And with psoriasis, is there any anything that patients would need to be particularly clued in when it comes to a sunblock? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. No, okay. I think just use something that's going to provide you with adequate coverage. That's the important thing. We've run out of time. We have run out of questions. I've questions about scarring. <laughs> We've had questions about more stretch marks. Um, thank you so much for your time today, You're Dr. Welcome. Damner. Really do appreciate it. And um, we'd love to have you back. And in the meantime, you can be found at King's. Which branch are you, are you or is it a few you're going to? Yeah, I'm at the um, Jumeirah branch. Beach for whoever wants to see me, I'd be happy to see you and, and connect. If you want those details, drop me a little line just saying skin or doctor and I will send you Dr. Amnishal's details from King's College so you can contact her directly. Thank you so, Thank so, you so much. Thank you so much, Helen. It was a pleasure being here. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. How do you turn your passion into a profitable business? It seems like the dream for so many people. And you hear that phrase all the time, you know. If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. But what does that look like in reality? We're speaking now to Success Coach and the founder of the DreamWork Collective, which is a publishing company based right here in the UAE. Kira Jean is with us, who's done just that and helps other people do that as well, which must be so fulfilling. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I want to. I mean, we've had so many of your authors in the studio, and I'm so glad that we were able to meet you and find out a little bit more about everything that's been happening behind the scenes and you know behind the pages and the company of those books because you are a living proof of really following that passion and solving a problem really in so many ways. What were you doing before you started the publishing company, Kira? So before that, I was working as a success coach. So I was coaching full time, um, teaching a little bit of yoga as well. And uh, I'd been traveling the world doing those things, kind of going from place to place. And I landed in Dubai and kind of stayed here and, and, and loved it. And I wanted to write a book myself. Uh, it actually started because my childhood best friend, uh, she had messaged me at the time and she was suffering from, from being ill. And uh, she actually passed away. And, and the last thing that she had messaged me before that happened was that she really regretted that she hadn't pursued her own writing ambition. Oh, At goodness. school, she was such a talented uh, writer, but she'd spent her adult life working for other people in very successful uh, companies and having a very successful career, but had never pursued her personal ambition. So when that happened, I said, whatever, I'm, I'm going to write a book myself and I'm going to pursue something that I'm passionate about and see what happens. Little did I know how hard it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And this was around eight years ago. And so publishing, self-publishing at that time was very, very difficult. Uh, it's changed a lot since then. But uh, I went through that process and that was kind of the inspiration that, that made me shift gears in my career. I, it takes us special type of person to go okay I've identified a problem I'm not just going to complain about it I'm going to start a business that's going to solve it for me and then you know holding that door open to to other people what was it like making that decision it took some time and I think it evolved very organically so I went through that process myself and uh 
I, I'm a very stubborn person. So a, a lot of the things that I was going through trying to do that just didn't make sense. And I was like, why, why is it so difficult? And why is it happening like this? And uh, that, that kind of stubbornness mixed with some curiosity made me question, like there has to be another way. There has to be. And so I started exploring what those options might be and, and eventually was able to to publish. And then I had people asking me, but wait, how did you do that? And so I started saying, well, well, instead of them going through the same challenges I did, now that I know what to do, why don't I just help them do it? And so it started with me kind of consulting them and supporting them on how to do it themselves. I think some of the big barriers for people starting their own business and, and turning their, their passion or solving a problem into a business is a lot of it is self-perception. It's like, I didn't go to business school. I'm not sitting on a pile of money. And these are very, you know, understandable um, obstacles. But as, you, as you've obviously proved, there's a will, there's a way. How do you coach people to help overcome those limiting beliefs? I think you have to come from a place of service. So you have to be able to see on the other side of the work that you're trying to do. Mm. Who is the person on the other end? Who's the person that you're here to serve. So, you know, in our in our work today, we serve both writers, but also readers. And, and when we are coaching our, our authors through this process, and it's not easy to splash your name across the cover of a book that the world's going to read and, and judge. But when we're coaching them through that, we're always reminding them, like, think about your reader. Who's the book for? Who is it here to serve? And I think that's the best way to be able to step out of your own head and, and insecurities and, and concerns. Kira Jean with us this afternoon. She's the founder and CEO of the DreamWork Collective. It's an independent print and digital publishing company. Um, and I wondered if you could give any advice to people in, in terms of, I guess, pitfalls to avoid when it comes to starting your own business, especially if it is something that is very personal to you. Um, in the past, when I've spoken to entrepreneurs, they were said, you know, I just asked all the wrong people if I should do this because they all said yes. You know, I just asked my friends if this was a good idea and they all wanted me to be happy. What, what else have you heard along your way? I think uh, our approach was was very different. So I had the idea for the business for three years before I told anyone about it. And when I told people about it, my friends and family were the last people I was going to tell about it. So I, I actually started running workshops in my living room for people who enjoyed writing. And I combined what I did know in, in terms of coaching um, and the skill set that I had there with what I was learning and discovering about publishing and, and writing books. So I started with that and I very quickly uh, gathered the, the people uh, around me. But I think the place that we all start, you know, need to start is really looking at who, who is that consumer, who's the customer and really knowing them intimately and deeply mm -hmm. and then that helps you to to avoid a lot of pitfalls because yeah. you can't serve everyone and you can't be a, a company for everyone so who is who is that person that you're really here to deliver the elephant what? in the room is often the money side that that capital and any advice to anyone who says I've got a great idea and I know there's a customer or hopefully hundreds of thousands of customers out there what about raising funds or reaching out to people to make sure you do have enough money to begin with I think it depends on the type of business. Uh, for, for some businesses, that's the right move. For others, it's not. Uh, and, it, and it sometimes can be positioned as a golden ticket and a, mm. and a 
a way to achieve success, but there's so many stories that people have received investment and, and it hasn't worked out for, for whatever reason. So I don't think that's necessarily the answer. My company's completely bootstrapped and, and I personally have a lot of admiration for entrepreneurs that, that you know, do it that way. But uh, at the same time, I don't think there's any right or wrong way. What I do love to see and, and what I enjoy in this process myself is creating win-wins. So I really believe in collaboration and, and partnerships. So not specifically funding or investment, mm. but finding people that maybe believe in the, the same thing that, that I believe in and, and have similar values or, or ethos or want to create something and build something together. I think partnerships and collaboration can go a really long way to getting something off the ground. Especially somewhere in like Dubai where it is very collaborative and you've got so many people bringing so many different talents from and influences from all over the world. One thing I wanted to ask you was about that when question because one of my biggest fears in life is looking back and thinking I wasted time much like your friend you know I wish I'd done xyz or I wish I'd had the guts to do that or try that or risk that and I think for so many people it's it's the fear of the unknown it's like what's on what's on the other side of saying yes or quitting my job or or starting this what are some of the questions you should be perhaps asking yourself before you make a big decision about changing your life changing your job starting a business I think really understanding what you need to feel safe and secure to be able to pursue what it is you're passionate about. Because when we talk about something that we're passionate about, and I work in the more creative industries, one of the things that gets in the way of any creative idea or, or seed is is feeling under pressure or like you have to compromise to be able to make ends meet. And so whenever we're working with creatives in, in our in our work, we always tell them, don't quit your day job, like stay in your day job until you're in a position where you feel absolutely ready and certain to make that leap. I think sometimes that that kind of throw caution to the wind uh, approach is sometimes uh, elevated. It's like, yeah, this is the way that you should it, do it if it you believe in it. Very, very um, romanticized. However, we do need a visa. <laughs> <So> <laughs> exactly. Let's, 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 let's find a balance. Um, you've published more than 30 titles to date with the DreamWork Collective. Is, is there an area of literature or publishing that you find yourself kind of focusing on and what are you looking for in, in other books coming your way? It changes across the years and depending on what we see, you know, our consumers and, and readers wanting to read at this moment in time, our focus for next year in terms of what we're looking for in our submissions is definitely women's fiction. We've published two women's fiction books this year and it was loads of fun um, and received really well by our community of readers. So we're definitely looking for, for more fiction. Um, if anyone does want to submit a manuscript or even find out more about the publishing process, is there a best way of getting in touch or connecting with you guys and the team? Yeah, we have a submissions process and we would love to be able to publish everyone that we receive a submission from, but we can't. We're a tiny team. Uh, but we we have our website, thedreamworkcollective.com, and people can go there uh, to the submissions page and submit their proposal and their manuscript. That's reviewed by our editorial team. And if successful, then uh, we reach out and we take the conversation further. Thank you so much for coming in. I feel like it's a really 
valuable kind of lesson to us all. And thank you for sharing about your friend. It is sad that sometimes it is a lesson that comes from the most tragic of circumstances that can be the most meaningful. Um, for anyone that is, and I, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions, but perhaps intentions for 2023. If anyone does have a book inside them, what advice would you give them for making a start? I would say the best thing you can do is to build the habit of writing and reading. So if you have an idea for a book and you want to write, have a book published one day, it's actually really important to read as much as you write. So building a habit, whether it's I commit to reading one book a month, is really important for writing, creating a daily practice, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, those little moments of time Mm -hmm. that you can fit in making sure that you're doing it consistently rather than viewing it as some big project that you need to take on um, is the best practice you could do in in the new year. Thank you so, so much. Um, The website again, if you wouldn't mind. Thedreamworkcollective.com. Kiratine, thank you so much. Um, And thank you on a personal note for bringing so many brilliant writers into the studio. I'm looking forward to meeting more in 2023. Um, Really appreciate your time. If anyone does want the details of submitting your own manuscript or indeed finding out more, you're more than welcome to drop me a little line. You might have heard that we were broadcasting live from Expo City last week. I took the family along and they had an absolute blast. I expected them to stay for a couple of hours and then get a taxi home, but no, six hours in total they spent. (laughs) And I have to say so much on social media about what a brilliant time everyone's having there at Winter City to find a little bit more about what's been happening behind the scenes and what we can look forward to over the course of the week. Uh, We've got Kate Randall on the line. She's executive producer of events and entertainment there at Expo City. Kate, how are you? Hello, very well. Thank you for having me today. Pleasure. And thank you for making the time. I think it's a very, very busy time of year. Lots of elves busy elving and Santa and Mrs. Claus um, meeting some very excited children. Um, I wanted to find out just how long this has been in the works. When did planning start for Winter City? Well, uh, fortunately, last year during Expo 2020, we actually decorated the site with a lot of sort of Christmas activity and we wanted to make sure that we could do that again this year. So it took about sort of three months, I guess, for us to start all of the planning so that we could get things up and running from the middle of November. It looks so enchanting and I have to say I I was surprised at just how... Um, kind of emotional I felt to be back at Expo City to be honest because we were broadcasting there every single week all the way through Expo 2020 Dubai and to go back and see it being transformed and full of people again was really it was it was really touching to be honest and as I said our kids had an absolute blast so for anyone that hasn't been what do you think are some of the highlights of Winter City for families in particular it is all about the children yeah, I mean, it is it is really beautiful, the Winter City Market, and I think people are really enjoying just being able to, to come down with the family and have the kids sort of run around and just experience all of the sort of the magic and how amazing it looks. They're writing letters to Santa. They're getting to meet Santa and Mrs. Claus. We've got some great roving entertainment uh, around the site, and we've got some new activities that have kicked off just for the school holidays uh, with the bag jump with the zip line uh, and an ice skating rink on sort of Opti's frozen lake. So there's lots of fun to be had, that's for sure. Opti's around wearing 
reindeer antlers, which we uh, we <laughs> which was great to see. And what I thought was really lovely is that a lot of this is free. You know, going to see Santa or Mrs. Claus is free. Writing a letter and posting it in what has got to be one of you know the Instagram opportunities um, of uh, of Expo City. That, that giant post box, um, but also in terms of other things happening around the site. You know, to to see my kids as I, as I have learned from previous visits, um, take spare clothes. They were in the fountain for about an hour. Exactly. <laughs> and really enjoying themselves and to see food trucks and cafes and I didn't unfortunately get the chance to stay to see the Awassal Plaza but that's had something of a transformation as well tell us about that Kate yeah it certainly has I mean Awassal Plaza is a is a magical place uh, already but we are tonight actually starting for the first time our winter show uh, which will run for the next five nights through and, in, and including until Christmas night our winter show uh, is a Carols by Candlelight show, oh, which I think the Aussies and the Brits listening will understand what means. But we sing over 30 Christmas carols and Christmas songs. We have live musicians, uh, a choir made up of adults and children. I think the youngest cast member that we have is only five years old. Oh, so cute. Cute. Uh, and we have um, some really amazing soloists as well. So we did uh, dress rehearsals last night into the very early hours of this morning. And you guys, it's going to be imagining, uh, amazing. Just imagine all the sort of twinkling candles and, and the live songs, everybody sort of singing along and having a bit of a dance. It's going to be great. Uh, for me, I don't feel Christmas until I've had a good sing song. Um, and I, I, yeah. Especially a carol. I had to put some carols on yesterday, did some rapping. Had a little cry. I quite like a little, little emotional exactly. carol from time to yeah, time. Yeah, I think there's so many different kinds, isn't there? There's sort of really sort of upbeat, amazing carols that you want to just jump up and down and dance to, and then the super emotional, emotional. especially ones by candlelight. Yeah. Um, what what time exactly. is that going to be happening tonight, and how long are the performances going to be lasting? Yeah, so the show starts at seven thirty, and it goes for about two hours. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be great. Oh, brilliant. And are you still doing the snow globe? Because that was what I was really gutted about missing last week. Yeah, so the snow globe has been so amazingly, um, really popular with everybody. So we are going to be continuing with that. In the Carols by Candlelight show, there are a couple of times where it does snow. I don't want to give too much of the show away because I want it to be a surprise for people. But once we've finished Carols by Candlelight from the 26th, of December all the way through until the 8th of January, which is when the winter market continues until we will be doing snow in our Wassel Plaza because we know that's what people want to come and see. Yeah, we want a little bit of a winter yeah. wonderland going on. Um, a question from Tim saying, uh, re-carols tonight, do you need to book? Um, thank you for anticipating my question, Tim. So if yeah, people do want to come down, have a sing-song and you know, or even just enjoy the performance as a spectator, is it a ticketed event and how can people find out more, Kate? It is, yes. So tickets are available um, through Platinum List uh, or you can, you can actually buy tickets here on site as well in our visitor centres. So either or, I think if you want to make sure you've got a seat, definitely go onto Platinum List. Um, and you can find out all of the details there and book your ticket. Well, well done to you and the team for all the hard work that's been going on behind the scenes. It is more than paid off, I have to say. The decorations are just impeccable. The staff were just all smiles and it was a brilliant atmosphere last week. I would say 
the site is as big as I remember. So if you're going with little ones, take a scooter, <laughs> take a buggy and you can take your dogs now. I was full of you jealousy sure for not taking our spaniels along, but they're little treat and water stations dotted around. And yeah, it was it was a really, really lovely atmosphere. So massive thank you from all of us at Dubai Eye for making us so welcome last week. Kate Randall, massively appreciate your time. Enjoy a bit of a sing song tonight if you get the chance. Carols by Candlelight starting 7.30 night for the first time while Wattle Plaza at Expo City. Kate, thank you again and uh, happy thank holidays you to you. Take care. Bye now. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.